Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tuesday Tips brought to you by the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. Uh, my name is Carter McKenzie and this week we're joined by a couple new faces, a familiar face. Um, we're joined by uh, Tim Kirtley, Josh Reed, and Chris Atanasio. Yep, yep. I nailed it? No, I didn't. No, that's that wrong. In your face, Luke, you idiot. What's going on, guys? What's up, man? Not much, man. Yeah, thanks for joining us tonight, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, this week, we decided we're going to talk about uh, weapons, primarily uh, the two most common weapons we carry in the woods when we're uh, chasing game. We're going to talk about a couple rifle tips and a, a couple bow tips, um, and I'm pumped to kind of jump in and, and have this discussion with you guys. Um I know, Tim, you're probably a little more well-versed with, with archery than I am, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. And then, uh, Chris, with your background, you're far more uh, versed from the rifle perspective, I think, uh, than I am as well. So, yeah, looking forward to it, guys. But, uh, Chris, why don't, you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, and then uh, you can jump into your tip here. Yeah, my name is uh, – thanks, man. My name is Chris Atanasio. Carter did get it right. Um you know, I've been in the military, have an infantry background uh, throughout the various communities in the infantry, kind of. Um, so as far as like shooting in general, you know, I also try to shoot personally, personally go shoot probably more than the average dude. I try my best. Um, but my tip kind of plays into the ethical shot and shot placement. And besides just being a good dude and trying to give like an animal that you're going to harvest the most humane shot possible it plays mostly into recovery um, as well as like not tainting the meat in a few situations and some various other aspects like that. So first one is like, why do you take the ethical shot? And I can get all, you know, high horse here, but I'm going to try not to, but just in my, my humble opinion is if you're going to kill this animal and you're going to, you know, eat it and use it to feed your family, because by no means am I a trophy hunter either, or by, I don't think really a lot. I think a lot of dudes these days kind of associate with like I hunt for meat for the table it's I'm trying to give this animal the cleanest shot possible so they can die the quickest, most peaceful death. Right. And we've all seen nature's metal, things like that. We all see what happens to these animals in the wild. So anyone who says that, you know, you're out there just murdering animals doesn't know what they're talking about, but ethical shot placement is, is my tip of the day and how that plays into it. Besides just sleeping with yourself at night and being able to, you know, live with yourself is for example, out in the woods, shoot a pig with five, five, six, right. Um, a little high it crawls into the palms and we spend about eight hours trying to find it because, you know, and we would go all the way to using IR to find it and whatnot and, and thermals because, or thermals per se, because at the end of the day, you know, based on your terrain, these animals that, you know, live and thrive in there, if you shoot something with a bad shot, it's definitely going to be able to crawl away and then you can't find it. So now you've wounded an animal and, you know, I've never been in that position. I hope I never have been, but I know some guys that have with elk, various situations like that. And I can't imagine anything worse than you take a shot in an animal besides all the work you put into that and then not being able to, you know, reap those rewards, but also knowing that this animal is now injured, crawling around, et cetera. Right. So that's my first one is why ethical shot placement is good. Um, and overarching throughout all various things. Yeah. I really like that one. I am thrilled that you haven't been in that situation. Um, Josh or Tim, I don't know if you guys have, but I definitely have. It's happened to me twice. And it is the worst feeling 
in the world. There's nothing more gut-wrenching in the entire world. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think if you do what we do long enough, I think, unfortunately, everybody kind of gets gets to where that happens. But, man, it's the worst feeling in the world to, to put a bad shot on an animal and you know, just like you said, I mean, it's 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 our duty as a hunter to make sure we're putting the most ethical kill possible on an animal. I mean, that's it's it's a bad feeling, and I, I hope a lot of people don't get to feel it, but it is a bad feeling. Yep, I completely agree with that. I mean, you got to make sure you got to make the most ethical shot you can because there's nothing more gut riching than losing an animal. Or, I mean, you got to make sure it's gonna go down smoothly as possible and. I mean, there's nothing worse than tracking an animal for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, it happened to me in Wyoming this past uh, October. Uh, I wounded a mule deer, a nice mule deer, uh, rushed my shot, and I ranged it at the wrong uh, distance uh, by like 100 yards. My rangefinder picked up the hillside behind it. Um, I wounded it and didn't get to recover it out there. There's a... Uh, it's not as lenient, I would say, and uh, private landowners are less willing to have non-residents come on their ranches to recover uh, downed game than here in Georgia, uh, even knocking on on doors. Um, and it shook me for my entire, the remainder of my season. I mean, I killed a really nice eight-pointer here at the house this year, and when I shot it, I had myself convinced that I was never going to see that buck again. Um, it was I was in my head for the entire season. Yeah, man, I and I I think too. I mean, I actually, which if you haven't seen it yet, the the article I wrote on the site there a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's probably you know four or five years ago. I, I made a bad shot, like you said. I kind of rushed, um, di- didn't range it out right, and kind of got an oh crap moment of I wasn't really paying attention and just looked up and there's a nice buck, you know. Rushed, made a bad shot, tracked forever, 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 you know. So, I mean, it's – and you, you talk about a bad feeling. I mean, just – it's a it's a gut punch, man. And like you said, it kind of – it it hurts your confidence as a hunter too. I mean, even the next couple – I mean, I, I went home and instantly started shooting, you know. I mean, just – and everything was good, you know. But just to, just to kind of be sure, I mean, it's, it's tough. Yeah, and that was, you know – and by no means am I over here trying to, uh, first of all, I'm not over here judging dudes. It's like various things happen and whatnot. I know everybody's out there, you know, who's serious about this, trying to make the ethical shot and whatnot. Um, my dumb ass about three weeks ago on the OPIF HLE hunt shot 300 wind mag from the standing, um, which was besides looking like a jackass, just not even a shot I should have <laughs> been taking at something running. Um, and Caleb just told me, he's like, you look like a jackass. So I appreciate that. He's absolutely correct. <laughs> but, um, that plays into my first, uh, I got three little, you know, how to avoid these situations if at all possible. Cause you know, as you said, man, it's like, you're going to run into a situation at some point. And first is, is like maturity. And I know that sounds hard and that takes time to develop, especially when you're young and something runs by, but that's the, that's the big one. Um, the second one is just confidence with your weapons. So understanding that, you know, this is my first year with a bow. I'm not about to go take a 60 yard shot by any means. You know, anything within 20 meters is dead, right? But like 60 meters, yeah, you're gone. You're you have fun, you know. And then finally, just understanding the terrain because you know, as you said, maybe you do get a bad shot, but if you did it with, if you're shooting rifle, you might be able to recover that better and win the arrow. You know what I mean? So I think it's just looking at the entire process of what you should be using, where and when, and what you're good with, and that's really going to avoid. Um, 
these situations, if at all possible. But that's really all I got, gents. Good stuff. Yeah, that's great. That that maturity is definitely real. Uh, it's definitely part of the process. And, you know, I feel like it's something all serious hunters, uh, you know, continue to develop every season throughout uh, their their lives. You know, as we can tell, we're all relatively young dudes. And I feel like I am not the same hunter as I was at 20, as I am <clears throat> at 28 now. Um, I care a little bit less about certain things and a little more about other things in the woods. So, Absolutely. yeah, that's all applicable. Yeah. Well, uh, mine kind of ties in uh, with what you were saying, Chris. So let me jump off here um, uh, with my tip before we kick it over to uh, Tim and Josh here. Um, my tip is about rifle scopes in particular. Um, it kind of ties in with what you were talking about, about knowing your weapon and being fully confident with your weapon systems. Um at the beginning of my hunting career, I didn't understand the importance of uh, owning good glass. Um, and, you know, for the most part, most people don't have money to spend on good glass. Uh, and it can be a bit daunting to spend. I mean, <laughs> rifle scopes get expensive, man. They can get out of control real quick, especially when you're talking Savorsky and, you know, certain higher end Leupold optics and, and things like that. Um, and there's like a myriad, almost an overwhelming number of choices out there. Um so this is kind of like, I guess, a, a basic rundown of rifle scopes and choosing the right scope for you. Um, my suggestion for anybody out there uh, would be to keep it simple. Um, it doesn't matter what rifle you have or what rifle scope you have or any of the bells and whistles that you have if you can't shoot your weapon well. Um, doesn't matter. If you can't make that ethical shot uh, when it's game time, doesn't matter. None of it matters. Um so if, if you're not comfortable, if, if you don't know about, you know, uh, like distance turrets and, and, and windage and, and zero stop and like leveling bubbles on rifles, don't overextend yourself until you have a good mentor to kind of introduce you to those, those aspects of rifles. Don't, don't go out there and just buy a $1,500 rifle scope, um, expecting that your shooting is going to get that much better. It's just, that's just not how it works. Um, more magnification does not mean better shooting, which is something I definitely used to think. I was like, oh, if I can zoom in more, I'll be more accurate. It's not really the case. It's not really how rifle scopes work, right? Overpowered scopes can be really detrimental in certain situations. Um, I know here in Georgia, I know Josh, you hunt, you hunt Kentucky a good bit. I have never taken a shot more than hundred, maybe 150 yards here in Georgia, uh, hunting whitetail. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, and really, a lot of that is just kind of based off terrain, too. I mean, I, I wouldn't feel real comfortable making that shot because, to be honest, I don't practice that shot because I'm, I'm never going to have it. You know, I mean, and hunting mostly hardwoods. I mean, wh where I'm at, a 100-yard shot is max, and that's, I mean, that's pushing it. You know, I mean, yep. I, and that's, you know, just because the terrain is what it is. I mean, it's, it's very steep, and you have some really deep haulers, and it, you're mostly hunting – logging roads and the, the top of a ridge yep. and you know it's 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 steep so if you look 50 yards down the down the holler you you can't see it you know i mean so right you kind of got to know uh know your terrain and and uh and practice and 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 get get good for what you're going to do so i mean you know at the same time if i was going say to kansas or, or wherever where it's more flat you know that's when you just have to practice and kind of adjust based off you know what what type of terrain or what type of hunt you're going on for sure do you have something, Chris? Yeah, this kind of plays into um, 
because I, you know, you mentioned Sorkovsky. I'm like, yeah, I'm not spending that much money either. And that kind of plays into that balling on a budget type of rifle setup that we were talking about a little bit earlier today. And I'll keep it quick. But um, one of the big things is, you know, I'm a big, I don't know if you can brand drop on here, but about to is a um, Vortex. You know, you got the, your, the lifelong warranty. And there's some optics that definitely work out well. So using something like that, that's maybe not like, you know, Night Force or Loophole or something like that, that Vortex, even though you might bust it, you're going to get your money back. And then being able to practice with your rig, which kind of talks into your point and my point, being able to, you know, use that effectively is picking a round that can kind of do it all. Because you can pick a few, there's a few rounds that can kill anything in North America, right? 300 Win Mag, you know, there's a few of them out there. And being able to get the one rifle, the one optic that you practice with, that you understand, you know, zero stop, turrets, windage, leveling, you know, zeroing, the importance of a good zero, that is what's going to be, allow you to actually use that rifle as well. Instead of having 50 different guns for 50 different animals, you know, you'll probably not use, you know, 48 of them type of thing, which a lot of dudes do today for sure. Yeah, it's easy to get carried away and, and play the gear game for sure. Yeah, I think it's all about comfort. I mean, you guys kind of talked about it a couple of times, but I mean, the biggest thing is just getting confident. You know, um, you know, and you kind of mentioned Carter as far as the money part of it. I mean, just because you buy a more expensive scope doesn't make you a better shot, you know. And um, that kind of made me think, you know, I, as, as a baseball coach, I, I've told my kids before that a, a $500 bat doesn't fix a $20 swing, you know. So it's kind of <laughs> not the same thing, you know. Exactly. That's going to be the name of this episode. I like that. I like it. <laughs> that's good yeah the correct scope for the correct situation is everything man if it's you know if you're if your magnification power is too high for a close shot like most of my shots come from 70 80 yards here in georgia um your your field of view is so narrow and, and it can hinder your your target acquisition and you may struggle to find that deer um and when it's game time that may be a rushed shot a missed opportunity um and that's you know that's that's too bad so I think like typically like here out east, like what I would recommend would be like a three by nine by 40. That's like pretty classic, pretty standard um, for Eastern hunting out here for these, you know, one to 200 yard shots uh, or, or closer. Um, and if you're not familiar with like the verbiage in rifle scopes, uh, I'll, I'll break that down real quick. Like the the three X, like the three times just means like three times magnification. So like objects appear three times closer than they do to the naked eye. Right. And then you can adjust that magnification. You can turn it up to whatever the next number is. So in a three by nine, nine would be the highest power magnification. And then that number on the end, the, I, I, I mentioned the 40, um, what the 40 is or 50 or 60 is the objective lens diameter. So like the actual diameter of the glass itself, like the big part of the glass on the end that's pointing that's on the, I guess, closer to the barrel of the rifle. Um, and the objective lens diameter, that number on the end of whatever power scope you have, to me is the most important aspect of a rifle. Um, I like a 50 millimeter objective lens. Um, the, the larger the, the, the diameter of your objective lens, the better your scope is at transmitting light to your eye when you're looking down... Um, your rifle scope. Uh, and what that means is in low light situations. So we know most, or in my experience, a lot of my shots are taken in low light situations, first light, last light. Um, that means more light getting to your eye in those low light situations. Um, 
when it when it means the most. So I really like uh, a 50 millimeter uh, objective lens. Um, and then, like you're saying, Josh, you got to adjust accordingly. So I want to upgrade and have a different rifle scope for when I go out west. Um, my eastern scope here is probably not cutting the mustard. I'm going to blame my miss on that this past October, and I'm going to upgrade and get a more appropriate scope. Um, I'm also a Vortex guy, Chris, so I'm going to upgrade to the Vortex Viper um, and probably go 4x12 or a 4x14. Um, have a little more, you know, when you're looking over <laughs> what seems like 100 miles <laughs> that you can see compared to Georgia, it's beneficial to have a little more magnification. Um, but if you're buying your first uh, rifle scope ever and don't know where to start, I shoot a Vortex Diamondback 3 by 5 by 10 which is fantastic for here out East. Um, and I've taken it on three Western hunting trips and it's worked well for me. Well, two out of three times, I'd say. Um, Leopold has a great line uh, of, of, of uh, scopes as well called the VX3. They also have, they, they get exponentially more expensive as well. But um, yeah, that's my tip. Get the right rifle scope for the right situation. Those are good starting points. Understand the verbiage because um, it gets complicated rather quickly and it gets expensive rather quickly as well. Yeah, I like how you said that because a lot of a lot of dudes would phrase it. You know, I think when you grow up and you have immediately having kids, I realize like, oh my god, I can't buy any more guns right now. This kid needs diapers every two seconds, right? Things like that. And what a lot of guys phrase is, "I need a new rifle." When in reality, it's like if you're going out west, you can definitely. That's probably when you need to start having like a second optic that you can use a second scope. Um, and the Viper, like that thing is gorgeous, absolutely. Like I use a cross, I have a Crossfire 2 on my Regara right now. I love it. So I'll probably be sticking with Vortex as well. And then just going down the rabbit hole, it's, I'd rather have something break on a hunt than, you know, and this is definitely the rabbit hole, right? But like then a home defense situation. So I always, I tell Kelsey, my wife, I'm like, I got to buy EOTech. It's for the AR at home. I have to have a Daniel defense. It's for, it's for home. It's to protect everything. And in reality, <laughs> it's like I'm buying a used you know, rifle off the gun rack to go hunting because who cares type of thing, right? In reality, it's like, well, right. what's the worst thing that happens? So that's just how I look right. at it. No, I love it. <laughs> that's great, man. Tim, you want to transition us over to uh, the archery side of things here? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, uh, my name's Tim Curley, primarily a bow hunter, like they said. Uh, my Tuesday tip pretty much is you're not always going to have the perfect shot, like when you're target practicing out in your backyard or wherever. Find a way to make yourself uncomfortable. Sit down, kneel, twist, turn. Because there's going to be plenty of times that you're going to be in the woods, either in a tree stand, on the ground, no matter what, that that deer or whatever you're hunting is not going to be directly in front of you where you can get the perfect shots. Like the buck I shot last year. My feet was pointing pretty much directly in front of the tree stand. My body is almost completely turned around facing the back. Like So you just pretty much got to find a way to make yourself uncomfortable and like you said, get the ethical shot. Don't rush something because you're uncomfortable or nothing like that. Yeah. Especially with archery, right? There's a, there's a lot of room for error when it comes to archery. Um, and kind of like we, what we were talking about before we hit record was a lot of people don't practice those uncomfortable shots, those uncomfortable situations yep. and arguably more practical. The chances of you taking a standing, relaxed, comfortable shot at 30 yards on a deer is slim to none, right? I have never seen it happen unless you're like the ultimate, if, unless you're like Remy Warren, like spot and stalking like crazy. Um, so you need to practice 
from certain situations and shoot from an elevated position. Practice from a tree stand, right? The, the elevation makes a big difference. Um, the first time I hunted with Luke, I invited, I met him on Instagram. My wife called him my Instagram boyfriend. I invo- invited him up to come hunt here in North Georgia with me. And I thought I was a big, bad hunter and I had a deer come by and I took, I was in a stand called the condo, um, which was like, a, it's a great rifle stand, terrible bow hunting stand. It had a tin metal roof and then like a metal bar going across. And if you touched anything with any piece of metal, it made the most ungodly loud noise in the entire world. And I took a insane, like half squatted position, had to like ease my bow out horizontally on the other side of the rail and then turn it vertically while I'm like holding this squat position and then draw back. And it was terrible. Um, so it's really, really important. Like you said, to, to practice those, those weird, those weird angles. Yeah. This is my first year bow hunting and I'm definitely that guy who thinks a buck is going to stand at 20 meters and let me square up and be perfect. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, archery is definitely one of those things, you know, I, we, I'm on recruiting tour right now and we have a business park and I go shoot right in the business park, which drives like, you know, American homes and the other places crazy, but it's like a grass patch we shoot on and, um, you know, it's 25 to about 40 meters. And that's where we shoot, but it's so different than a rifle in the sense of like, if you do not do it every day, every other day, get, you know, however X amount of reps, whatever you think is good for you. And you are going to lose that skill. I feel it's different than like, okay, I'm getting behind a rifle on my third shot. I'm like, yeah, bone on bone, understanding feet turned outward in the prone, you know, low breath, that kind of thing. Where in reality, the bow is so much different. And I thought I was tough. You know, I was like, elevate position. Okay, I'll like stand on this trailer right here. And then uh, my buddy Giovanni goes on a business trip and he's, he's staying in like a Hilton or something like that, right? And he's telling me, you know, he's telling me about how he worked out on this business trip. In reality, he's running around the Hilton parking lot with his bow and taking a shot like in the side corner or something like that. And the guy's an absolute, absolutely completely dedicated to it more than I could ever imagine. And we both got into it at the same time. You can tell like his shots are just so much better in mind at this point because he's putting that much time with it. I think that plays directly into what you were saying about having the ethical shots. You have to put the work in. You know, you don't see like guys taking out kids and doing a bow hunt initially because it's so much work to get that good. It's completely humbling in my mind. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's kind of funny you talked about make sure you shoot from elevation. When we, uh, when my wife and I first got married, we lived in Louisa, Kentucky, and uh, I actually put a tree stand right next to our driveway in our side yard. You know, and then, and then we actually we moved uh, uh, last year, and we're kind of like on the outskirts of a neighborhood. And she told me to quit doing redneck stuff in the yard. But I'm like, hey, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. But uh, I, I, but no, I I think the thing the thing with bow hunting, man, and, and that's what makes it so great is there's so much room for error. So when you actually do, you know, punch a tag, you know, and and you have success, that that's just makes it. It's so much better, you know. It's so up close and personal, and I mean, it's just, it's it's so much different. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I grew up hunting with a rifle, and you know, but to get to get a deer within bow range, you know, and to me, I don't make a shot that's more than thirty yards. I just don't. I'm not comfortable with it. And to me, I mean, yeah. to get a to get a deer within thirty thirty yards and make a great shot and and everything go great, man. It's just. You know, I, I've got a good buddy that I that I coach with, and he says that with bow hunting, when you have success, if you can get in an animal's area 
with that and have success, it's basically like if somebody was in your living room sitting in a corner and they're completely camouflaged and you don't see them. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, if you can have, it's that difficult to get that up close in person, but that's at the same time, man, that's why, that's why it's so, you know, it's great when, when everything goes right, because things go wrong a lot, <laughs> but when it goes right, it kind of, it just, it's why it's so great. I think that's why it's taking, making a resurgence though, too. It's like, I think when you look at the American man right now, or like the man in general, right? Like wherever, wherever you can do this around the world, right? But like, there's so many creature comforts and it's like, what connects you to a tough pursuit getting into, you know, I want to sound all like, you know, hippie here, but like getting in tune with like your roots of doing something hard, especially if you're putting meat on the table for your family and then using a bow on top of that. I think that's why it's attracting so many dudes today, especially, well, that and like Joe Rogan and campaigns, but you know, mostly it's just how difficult it is. That's why people are so drawn to it. Yeah, absolutely, man. When it's good, it's the best. It is the highest of highs. It's the best. Um, you got anything you want to add, Josh? Uh, yeah, man. I, mean, I, I know I kind of just touched on what you guys had to say, but I think the biggest thing that I, I could think of is just be comfortable. You know, and and me, at least in my experience, every time every time I step in the woods w- with a new weapon, whatever, say the season might change, whatever it may be, I, I always shoot that weapon beforehand. Even if, uh, you know, like, for example, in, in Kentucky, we have like an early uh, black powder season. It's in October. Um, even if I'm completely dialed in and ready to go, I feel really comfortable. I'm shooting, you know, shooting straight. Um, and I say I hunt that first weekend in October. Um, we have a late black powder that's in December. You know, even if I just took that gun and put it straight, I cleaned it, put it straight in the case and the gun safe, pulled it right back out and stepped back in the woods. I always shoot it again because you just never know. I mean, something very simple as barely tapping it or hitting that scope or, or, or anything really can can throw those sights off. And and I think as hunters, you, you owe it to, to the animal that you're pursuing to be able to make an ethical shot. I know we talked about that a lot, but I think if you don't feel completely comfortable with your weapon and you don't know that you're going to shoot straight and be able to make an ethical kill, then you have no business being in the woods. That's the way I like. So, I mean, but the biggest thing, I know we kind of touched on it a lot, but in order to make that ethical shot, you have to be completely comfortable. So, um, you know, every time you step in the woods, shoot, shoot beforehand, make sure that, uh, or especially if you take a trip, I know some of you guys have taken, you know, trips out West or wherever it may be. I mean, if, if you throw that, that rifle or bow or whatever in luggage and, and you travel halfway across the country, man, don't grab it and, and, and hit the woods because you, you just don't know. And, and if something goes wrong, you want that to be while you're shooting at a target, not while you're shooting at an animal. Cause it's, it's a bad feeling to put a bad shot on one. Do you have something to say there, Tim? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you there. I mean, it's like, if you're going to put something away, always shoot it before you go out in the woods. Uh, I had a muzzleloader pretty much the day before muzzleloader season. It's been years ago. Put it away. Everything went great. Uh, went to go get it out next season, the day before muzzleloader. Went to go shoot it, and I was shooting completely off the paper. And I was like, well, we never touched this gun. Come to find out, when I was shooting it last, it knocked the paralytes completely out of the scope. So you wasn't getting a accurate shot at all. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. If you're going Before you go out in the woods, always shoot whatever you have. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's so important, and I think it's even more important. You brought up um, – if you're going east to west, west to east, because now you're talking about atmospherics at a longer range. And one of the bigger things is you need to test that 
you know, we talked earlier about East Coast hunting kind of being like 100 meters, 150 max. If you're taking like a 300 meter shot, 400 meter shot, you have very other variables playing in the range, especially if you're going longer than that, which I don't really do to do unless you're a pro. But um, you definitely need to test that. And even driving, you know, my buddy Nate Benton, he's probably one of the best shots I've ever met in my life. Deployed with the guy twice, just an animal. And we went on a pig hunt. He knocked his optic and it was uh, 25 meters, just completely off. And he felt like shit because he was in one of these situations where he completely wounded the pig type of thing. Um, yeah, just ensuring your stuff is dialed in at every stage possible prior to actually getting on the animal is, is probably the most important thing because you're going to test all the other aspects we've been talking about. And, and I think, uh, especially the bow hunting aspect too, I mean, I, I feel so much better stepping in the woods when I know 100% that, you know, from 30 yards and in, man, I'm, I'm pretty deadly, you know. I'm not saying things can't go wrong, but I mean, if I'm if I'm not comfortable at all, you know, or if I'm not comfortable at a certain range, you know, I just I don't make the shot. I know you talked about that too about the maturity part of it. That's part of as you get a little older, the maturity part of well, if I don't feel comfortable with a you know a 35 yard quarter and away shot when a deer's already already kind of jittery and jumpy, then I'm not taking it. You know, and I, I think some you know. I think a mistake that could be made is, you know, you get excited and, you know, you think you can make the shot when you know you really can't. So that's where that maturity level just kind of comes in and, and, uh, and just kind of doing things the right way. I think the maturity is also relative too, because you can be mature with whitetail and then you go do pronghorn and it's your first pronghorn you're looking at and you're getting jerk. I, I, cause I know I'd freak out if I saw this thing, right. Or like you see a huge bull up, you know, move up and it's a whole new maturity level because it's a new situation or rifle to bow something like that because i think evan posted something about how a bow hunt he posted on his profile a bow hunt was completely different it was like the first doe he ever shot or first deer he ever shot and because it was, it was with a bow it was like his first time hunting or something along those lines yep so it's also even though it was just a doe what's up even though it was just a doe yep you're exactly right he said it was life-changing i mean he's, yeah he said it was amazing yeah it's cool I mean, yeah, this is all fantastic, man. Um, I think we should uh, we could easily get another episode or two out of out of this topic, boys. Um, but this has been uh, great. Appreciate you guys uh, jumping on and, and sharing your knowledge here. Um, Chris, where can uh, people find you on uh, Instagram? Um, I'm at CC Atanasio on Instagram. Uh, myself is mostly my kid and uh, a bunch of pictures of pigs and marine crap. So probably don't want to follow me. But yeah, just reach out if you ever need anything. And then let me throw out a shout out for OPIF. If you're a veteran and yeah, you're yeah, in yeah. need, if you're a veteran, you're in need, hit me up um, and we'll get you taken care of, man. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Operation Pay It Forward. Uh, Hunt Lift Eat is really proud to be moving forward with that partnership. Um, so definitely go check out Operation Pay It Forward's Instagram page or uh, their website. And if you need anything, uh, message Chris for sure. We'll put his information in the show notes. Um, Tim, where can folks find you? Uh, you get on Instagram is T underscore Kirtley 41. Um, it's pretty boring. So I'm, so. <laughs> that's perfect, man. And then Josh, where can folks find you? Uh, yeah, on Instagram, it's, uh, Josh three read. It's pretty much a bunch of, uh, like I told you before, hunting and fishing and baseball stuff. And every now and then I'll slap a picture of some deer burgers up. But besides, besides that, man, it's pretty basic stuff. 
Living That's perfect. There. We all have that in common. Awesome. Yeah. We're all basic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah. think you can actually it. cook something on the grill without taking a picture of it. You know, yeah. that'd be a huge, <laughs> huge mistake cool. if you didn't. <laughs> and then uh, before I close this out here, I just want to give a shameless plug for uh, Josh's articles that he's been writing for the Hot Lift Eat uh, blog. Um, please go check out his articles um, at HotLiftEat.com. Uh, they're phenomenal, and he's really taken our blog to the next level, writing about a myriad of different subjects. So go check them out. Uh, give us some feedback on those. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, man, I, I appreciate that. And I mean, there's, I know I, I've had a couple on there, but I mean, even a couple of the other ones have been put on there. It's, it's really good stuff, man. I mean, really, really good stuff. I know the one that you put on there and then there was a couple more that's been posted in the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's, it's really good content from a, a kind of a, a different variety of, of people in different places in the, in the world. So I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Please go check that out. Hotlifteat.com. Uh, give Hotlifteat a follow on Instagram at Hotlifteat official. Um, once again, we appreciate the hell out of you listeners and we'll talk to you guys next week.